Hi everybody, just popping in to play Havoc With Your Podcast listings to let you know that series slash season, depending on where you are geographically, two of House of Daft will be coming to you in the summer. What very exciting news, I'm sure you'll agree. Now before that, we've got an incredibly special Easter treat for you today, which was supposed to be a surprise, but as it's in the episode details, you already know what it is. I've never really understood why they do that. It's like when you're watching a film and the description says, after the birth of her octuplets, and she doesn't even get pregnant for two-thirds of the movie, or following the death of her mother, and so you're just watching, waiting for the mother to die. Or when you Google a recipe for liver and pasta, and you find one that looks incredible, but it's someone's blog, and you have to scroll past five stories of how this was someone's grandma's favourite recipe, and helped her find God, and cured her hemorrhoids, or something. Anyway, but I digress. As you will have read, we are so, so honoured to have Dame Sir Simon Callow with us today. Uh, Just reading from his biography, it says that Simon's name has become synonymous with Dick Inns, and we're thrilled that he's going to be reading an extract today from a newly discovered story by Charlie himself. Previously thought lost, and obviously time will tell as to whether that was justified or not. Anyway, here it is, an Easter oratorio. Take it away, Simon. Anyone reading the Newington Butts Chronicle on the 20th morning of April in the year 1840 would have been thrilled to note the nuptials of Clara Frump. After several false starts and two times abandoned at the altar, Miss Frump had finally knotted the sheet with one Frederick Pettyman at the Grand Dormage of 22. The occasion brought a palpable joy to the Frump seniors. We feared she'd never wed, declared Mr. Jebediah Frump, a banker of some significant wealth, and anyone unfortunate enough to examine the photographically rendered image of the event would indeed view a man priapic with glee and with an air of considerable relief, or at least brimming with a glut of wine from a foreign clime, clasping Frederick heartily by hand. On the left of the picture, meaning my left, not their left, and being propped by the bride, a frail and weathered Winifred Frump, appeared as if she may crumple into a heap at any moment, and you would not be thinking outside the realm of fantasy to imagine that someone nearby was ready to leap to her resuscitation with a slew of ammonic salts. The wedded couple themselves, however, could not be considered as the embodiment of the epithet happy, looking rather like spectres from the feast, and indeed, upon closer inspection, Jebediah's vigorous handshake could be construed more like a twisting of Frederick's arm. Underneath, and in type smaller than that, a piece on a man from the Americas called William Henry Lane, one of P.T. Barnum's band of merrymakers who had perfected something called a tap dance, using different parts of his feet to create variation in both sound and resonance. I am soon to visit the Republic and will investigate further. 
underneath and smaller than that, notices on three men, unrelated other than by their irredeemable and embarrassing predicament of being declared bankrupt. And smaller than that, an announcement that ye olde Topshop have 10% off men's pantaloons. It does not mention which part of the pantaloon the 10% is removed from. And smaller than that, in fact, the smallest of them all, as small as small could be, read one line, baby found dumped in poultry house. I'm Simon Callow, and this is House of Daft. The day prior, I found myself standing in front of St Winston's as the bells pealed their Easter welcome, and an expectant congregation rushed past me to steal the best pew. Jostled and jogged by ladies of the well-to-do in bonnets of such immensity that I was almost dismantled several times. I would have eagerly joined in their throng in spirit, but not today. As the last of the line of busy bodies thrust their way into the Holy Kingdom, the doors slammed shut, the bells stopped, and an unusual hush descended over the world, and I stood just for a moment, rooted to the spot. All of a sudden, a scream to curdle the blood and shatter the bones reverberated around the square, and several archaic structures seemed to vibrate from a slumberer's witness. I deduced, as is my knowledge of the city, that the distress was emanating from behind me, and I hurried in the direction of Crack Scratch Alley, and from there darted into Sniffinger Lane. The unholy squawk was erupting from the bowels of Esme Minjoot, a harlot of Celtic descent with a fiery mane of red hair, known on occasion to be on actual fire should she drunkenly fall asleep mid-fellatio near a lighted candle, as she was wont to do. She grabbed me by the coat lapel, the many oddities of her fizzog thrust in my face, one milky blue eye fixed like a deadbolt on me, the other seemingly keeping watch around the alley corner. A gathering of pustules by her mouth, like a collection of moons as described by a drunk stargazer, appeared to be alive, and one in particular seemed to wriggle and threatened to burst as she spoke. There's a bairn, she spittled, giving me my second facial of the morning, and undoing all of the work with the second that had been accomplished by the first. She scratched feverishly at her mimsy. And the chicken coop, a bairn, it's no mine, she whinnied. Be gone with you, commanded an approaching Inspector Trunchard, dismissing her with a flabbergasting insouciance. There's nothing here for a floppy pisspot like you. It's no mine. I've tailed him, she insisted, scampering away with such a bonus in her legs that would make it impossible for them to meet at the knees. And indeed, when she became mangled in a carriage wheel a couple of months later, they had to snap her at both hips to close the lid of the coffin. Can you imagine the pitiless oath that would escape those putrid loins, Inspector Trunchard envisioned? 
that those diseased pipes could sustain and thrust forth adequate life, he continued, that her mouldy slut sack could produce quality fruit it doesn't bear thinking about. Sadly for me, Inspector Trunchard had persisted in conjuring images of Esme's dire reproductive quality. I was indeed now thinking about it. A baby, she said, I gestured. Tis the oddest thing, there among the hens and the straw. Not a peep, not a sound, clutching a warm egg. Um, sorry to interrupt, Simon. Is there much more of this? What? Yes, about 20 pages. Ah, um, we don't really have time for any more. Sorry. Oh, um, really? But I'm only part way through. Can you just give us the gist? Well, the baby is the child of the mistress of Jebediah Frump, left on the doorstep of the eve of Clara's wedding. Twenty years later, the baby, Fanny, falls in love with Clara and Frederick's son, and some incestuous hilarity ensues. The mistress returns, but she is now well-to-do, and tries to ruin the Frump family. There's a side story, and there's lots of allegory about Easter and spring and new life, etc. Eggs play a big part. Cheers, mate. Um, see you all in the summer, everyone. Bye. Bye.